0: T N K R Media.
1: Welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal, our 15th season showcasing stories from outstanding business people presented by BDO Canada. My name is Dan Delmar and in for Mike Knudsen. this week is Eros Malekic of BDO. Hey Eros, uh, welcome back.
2: Hey Dan, I'm super excited for today's sh- uh, show, I, we have uh, Andrew from Group Powerstone joining us and as you know he's, uh, he's not an old guy, he's in his mid-twenties and uh, him alongside his partner started uh, this business at a very young age. And they've built something from nothing. So I'm sure that came with its challenges. And so I'm eager to hear their story and uh, have them share their experiences with our, with our audience. And hopefully there's some young ex- aspiring entrepreneurs tuning in that can benefit from their journey.
1: I know I love doing the young uh, millennial shows, but I guess it's really Gen Z now at this Euros. because uh, Andrew is uh, is definitely younger than millennial and started working, as you'll hear from when he was 12 years old, mowing lawns, and then grew into this business called PowerStone. It's really a great story, so stay tuned for that. But first, let's chat about current events, shall we, Euros? And because we have someone who is quite young in the program today, I thought we would take a look at some of these internet debates between employers and employees. There are a lot of these almost intergenerational conflicts happening online and we chose to highlight this one um, because you get the response from both sides and we didn't want to just take one side and put it out there so here is an interaction between an employer complaining about their employee on a podcast and then the employee responds afterwards and but you don't have to pick size necessarily but i'm wondering you know what, what we could all learn in terms of the interaction between generations in the workplace
3: when asked to come in for an 8 a.m. meeting, my Gen Z new hire said, "Ugh, sorry, I can't make it. I have a workout class. Should this be allowed?
1: My
4: visceral reaction was, are you kidding me?
3: No, fully like angered, typing this out. I was like, please
4: like my hands shaking and
3: it's not from the caffeine. You just started this job. Also, an 8 a.m. Workout class is too late. Workout at six, yeah. maybe seven. Hi. Yeah, Natalie. So um, we can talk about this more later, but I'm going to address this now. It was made very clear during the interview process, that the working hours for this position is between 9 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, and I am on Eastern Time. I made that very clear with HR because I have commitments outside of work. Sure, I can make a sacrifice to go to an 8 a.m. meeting had I known at least a week before that I needed to go at 8 a.m., not a day before. Okay, let's just say I skipped the gym. Two things, when can I expect you to reimburse me for my class? And two, are you gonna be paying me from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., or at the very least, let me leave at 4 p.m.? Natalie, if your answer to both of those are no, then there's no discussion needed. I will see you at nine o'clock today. Also, yeah, I sent an email to HR about this and sent them the link to that TikTok video. So um, just to make things clear.
2: Nice. <laughs> there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there to talk about, Dan. Um, you you tell me, do you want to start it off?
1: I was going to throw it to you, Euros. I mean, to me, you know, you, you see, you see the, the argument on both sides for sure. But I see a generation, Gen Z, um, affirming themselves in the workplace and saying, no, we're only going to work a certain way. And I think it's time that we all adapt to that at the very least respect what we, the kind of boundaries, the nine to five boundaries that we set ourselves as millennials and as Gen Zs, you know, like we, we set the rules and now we expect people to, to come in early and stay late. And, you know, I, I think he's got a, he's got a point there.
2: Honestly, there's a lot to talk about when I said that I meant it. I think, um, look what I don't Uh, What I'm not a fan of, I should say, is like the labeling, like a generational thing. I think within that generation, there's a lot of uh, good talent that's willing to roll up their their sleeves and and put in the work. Um, What I think it's a question of is prioritizing. uh, I mean, uh, for, for that specific candidate, person, individual, what they prioritize in their life. So if they see that that workout is more important uh, then whatever is at stake in terms of the career and, and that day uh, uh, um, on the job, then they're going to pick the the workout nine out of ten times. So I think uh, the priority aspect and understanding what the individual's priorities are uh, is an important thing for the employer. And I think as well the you know the leadership the leadership is, is something that will maybe. Uh, shift that priority for the team member. So if the team member sees that the leader is a motivated person, cares for their well-being, um, and when I say their well-being, I mean the team as well as their own personal well-being and is aligned in terms of values, I think that's going to create a culture where uh, people will shift their priorities towards um, you know, helping move the, the needle for the business.
1: Speaking of meetings, um, I really like this piece from Fast Company, how to make meetings less of a waste of time. Um, what are your favorite tips?
2: Well, uh, meetings, I mean, there's. if you look at uh, a survey that's referenced in the article, it showed that 92% of uh, surveyed employees considered meetings costly and unproductive. Uh, There's even some companies then like Shopify, I think they instated uh, no meeting Wednesdays for all staff. So, you know, they got to pick and choose times when they're going to hold meetings. Uh, The author, Claire Hughes Johnson, suggests using the acronym PAL, uh, which stands P is for purpose, uh, A is for agenda and L is for limit. So purpose wise, you know, determining what is the purpose of the meeting that you intend on, on holding and making sure that everyone understands what that purpose is. And then having a clear agenda, I think a common mistake is to cover, to try to cover too many topics in, in too little time. Uh, so circulating the topics to be covered um, in service of that purpose that you uh, intended for the meeting. And then having a time limit. That's another big one. You know, you have the agenda, but what good is the agenda if you're going over on time on on uh, the first three topics and you can't address, you know, four, five and six. So uh, I think that's, uh, that's an important aspect. And. The last uh, piece that I really uh, took from this article is to try and make, you know, these meetings more inclusive uh, for those uh, team members who might not feel comfortable sharing their ideas. It doesn't mean that they don't have great ideas. So I think it's finding ways to to, to get that out of them. And and we all know, I mean, meetings will likely always be a necessary part of uh, workplace culture. But with a little more thoughtful planning, Dan, I think they can be less, uh, maybe less frequent and more enjoyable. Uh, Remind me of that acronym again, PAL. PAL, P for purpose, A for agenda, and L for limit.
1: Interesting. I, I Those are really, really great things to keep in mind. And the one that I kept in mind, maybe it's a, another A is actionable. So leave the meeting with things to do afterwards, right? Stuff to accomplish, not just to leave leave everything lingering.
2: A hundred percent. I think the follow through is uh, probably one of the most important parts of uh, it's part of that purpose, right? Like what is the you're setting that tone in the purpose? What do you want from the meeting? And that goes uh, beyond the actual time of the meeting and, and is focused on what the deliverables are uh, afterwards.
1: Later in the program, we're going to talk about cloud computing and the cloud accounting uh, with our BDO specialist. Um, this piece from Inc.com, cyber threats are ever present, always tough to fight, especially in an age of AI um, where the computers are supercharged and really exponentially um, more dangerous than they were in the past.
2: Yeah, I'll share with you some highlight stats from this article, Dan. There was a global survey uh, sponsored by hardware maker Dell and uh, the computer protection software provider McAfee. And it illustrated that almost 50 percent of respondents had experienced a cyber attack on their business and almost 20 percent had suffered multiple attacks. And in fact, two thirds of the victims were attacked in the last two years. So it's recent stuff. And many of those hacks are done using A.I., and, you know, maybe you're going to ask, well, what's the monetary damage? Well, it's not small dollars, for a, especially for a small business. Actually, over 50% of the victimized businesses lost $10,000 or more. And they're spending time more than a week uh, afterwards sorting out the aftermath of the attack. Obviously, time is money, but it's not just a financial burden. There's a the reputational damage that can come with that, and that can drag on uh, post the attack as well. So... Usually these attacks, they're caused by someone and we all know that too well. You know, when someone clicks a link uh, or opens an attachment in an email and that cripples the computer with viruses and uh, ransomware that's going to paralyze the the business operation. So how do you uh, stop that? You know, what's the solution? Well, using AI to fight AI is one. So you have to have the technology running uh, internally. Uh, that's going to conduct these advanced scans of emails and their links, and tr- try to sort of uh, segregate those out of the view of of your team members. And then another one is ensuring that your team remains aware of these constant threats. I think that's an important one: um, is to talk about it more often, and uh, have the team, you know, check the email address of the sender, look for typos, consider when the message is being sent. Um, you know, is it normal that they're sending you this information via this channel? Um, and, and, training is, you know, is not the only line of defense.
1: You have to remove the ability for, for users to, to click the wrong link. Also, I would add security, changing your passwords and two factor authentication. A lot of platforms, a lot of software, um, have two FA options that people don't exercise. And I've found it to be really the most, the safest, most easiest thing one can do for cybersecurity, two factor authentication, look into your phone and that way, uh, you know, someone who would have to essentially grab your phone or grab you to, to get into your stuff.
2: Huge. Absolutely, Dan. And I mean, some current things to consider also is like, look, we're working. The reality is we're working in a remote and hybrid work environment and that's the new normal. Um, so you got to look as is your existing tech stack uh, supporting this from from a efficiency standpoint, but also from that cybersecurity Uh, standpoint. And there's good IT consulting firms out there that could help. I know that BDO Canada, we have a very strong digital team and, uh, you know, they can help from things with uh, as as far as digital adoption plans go, cost
1: savings review and and cybersecurity threat prevention as well. And let's get right to our entrepreneur. His name is Andrew Pimentel. He's the vice president of Group Powerstone. Andrew, welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs. Thanks, Dan. Good to see you. Glad glad to be here. I'm really excited about the show today. Uh, we're going to talk about decor. Uh, I could use some of it uh, uh, out back here. Tell me about Group Powerstone.
0: Yeah, Dan. So at our core, Group Powerstone is a landscape construction business, and we specialize in turnkey landscaping projects, uh, ranging from in-ground pools, full backyard. Um, we really niche down into the full backyard transformation. So taking someone's backyard from design all the way through to a complete oasis for the homeowner. But it, it didn't start there. We started with a team of two, me and my co-founder, Nick, just doing any small repairs we could get in the backyard to slowly grow the business to what it is today.
2: And uh, Andrew, uh, I'm also equally happy to to have you on. Um, you know, I've been privileged to to see some of your your work around our neighborhood uh, where I live in in Vaudreuil-Dorion. It, it seems really, really beautiful. And these are bigger scale contracts and from speaking to you off air I know you've mentioned you know you guys are sort of uh, trying to gravitate into uh, other geographical areas doing bigger contracts that take a lot of time was it always like that like I I guess when you started I know you mentioned you started smaller scale it was stuff uh, around the home maybe in the front of the home what do you find the main difference obviously other than the length of time in terms of contract sizes and, and how you manage that? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. It wasn't always the
0: large-scale contracts that we have today. We definitely started with the smaller end repairs and slowly built up the contracts we're able to take on. I mean, I think like the key contributor to this was just identifying the right trends. Um, And the homeowner wants... In in today's market, the homeowner wants convenience. So being able to package everything together to bring a turnkey approach is really what helped us grow in the direction of being able to take on these, these full full turnkey projects by grouping all the elements like the your unistone your in-ground pool your fence under one umbrella. Andrew how did you get into this business what's your background? So when we were 19 we started the company and we decided that this summer we weren't going to work for someone we're taking on entrepreneurship and we started by the first contract we ever had was a lawn mowing contract and we slowly built it up one step at a time like making our fair share of mistakes along the way for sure Um, but again going back to identifying that trend like we got the major trend right, and that allowed us to make mistakes along the way, but going in the right direction.
2: And I think it's important, I mean, the audience uh, can't see you, but I think it's important to note, like, you're a young guy, you're in your mid-20s, uh, if you don't yeah, mind me 25. sharing that. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that, that in itself is highly impressive in terms of, uh, you know, the rapid growth uh, you guys seem to be experiencing. Can you tell us a little bit, like if we rewind back uh, to this the starting days, you know, you mentioned you you have a, a business partner, uh, Nick. How did you go about finding the right business partner? Yeah, that's definitely a tough one. So partnership, I,
0: w- I would say, is not something that's for everyone. We've all heard the horror stories like surrounding partnership um, and it shouldn't be taken lightly. But if you do decide to go the partnership route, complementary skill sets go a long way. So me and my business partner, we don't do any overlapping tasks. We, we complement each other in what we bring to the table. And a huge factor for us is the ability to put egos aside when making big decisions. So we could have that debate back and forth with no animosity at the end of the day, knowing that the company is the one that benefits. And there's no arguments. It's a bit debate to get to the right decision.
1: And tell me when you decided to expand into more of the design space, like what was that what was that jump? So you guys are doing a lot of manual labor, a lot of hard stuff, and then where'd you get the design expertise?
0: So we are yeah, we were doing a lot of manual labor, um, oftentimes following the plans of, I hate to bash these type of things here, but designers who ha- don't necessarily have expertise in building these projects. So a lot of stuff looks good on paper. But it's hard to really produce that in the backyard when we're dealing with like, different elevations, different distances from neighbors, bylaws, et cetera. So we realized that 70% of our clients had a prior engagement with a designer before contacting us. And we decided to bring that in-house. So hiring a landscape designer to really give the client that in-house, again, turnkey
2: experience and designing something that we're comfortable building and we know will last. You know, in terms of um, like you just said, seventy percent of your clients are coming in with a, a previously uh, mapped out design. Like, I guess that's telling in terms of maybe they had a, a bad experience and they didn't pursue something. Um, you know, having started it with another company, knowing that, like, how do you use that part to your advantage? Like, you stay involved in the transaction from A to Z. Uh, so, as far as staying involved in the transaction, we there is kind of a handoff point between
0: the sales side and the project management side. Um, but we do, again, since it's turnkey, we are involved the same, you have the same faces involved in the project from design until the end of construction, which helps create that
2: feeling that the homeowner's taken care of and like the service is there. And in turn, like the, the project sizes have grown, obviously, um, you know, and the team that you need around that, I'm sure has grown as well, right? Like when you guys started doing those small jobs, Uh, Was it just you and Nick and now it's uh, how how many are you right now? Yeah, exactly. So when we started, it was just me and my co-founder, Nick, uh, and we were doing anything we could to
0: get uh, to get the job done. Now we're growing to a team of about 12 and talent is the million dollar question in our industry. It's not an easy job. It's not a glorious job. Um, But at the end of the day for us, what it comes down to is because it's such a
2: hard industry to find and retain talent is being okay overpaying for a plus talent how do you keep them like because i could. i mean when i think of someone in, in your industry who's um sort of working independently what you want where you don't have to oversee them on on every little thing and every little job uh to allow you to scale at some point you know do they come to the uh you know to the decision uh i guess the fork in the road where they may want to branch off and do their own thing and if they do how do you deal with a situation like that andrew I mean, we don't discourage it. If someone's
0: willing to take the leap and, and do their own thing, we're there to help them. Uh, we're there to get them on their feet. But at the same time, we really believe that our team is as strong as our weakest link. That's something we believe to our core. So when building a team of A-plus talent, most of the people love their role. So they're not looking to branch off and do their own thing. And we do also try and as much as like they're in their role, we do encourage growth so that they have that, they know what the next step is and how to get there if they want to. That also helps us retain that A-plus
1: talent. What are you doing in the winter?
0: In the winter, we focus on on designs for the next year. Honestly, and in the winter, we def- we focus on strategic planning to how we're going to grow the business next year.
2: We like to pick one goal and focus on that goal for the next year. In terms of um, like the the social media aspect, because I know you guys are very present in that world. You know, I see the advertisements as well um i think it's neat like how important do you find that and do you keep that going like all year round or is that to dan's point is that something you know you switch the gears in in the winter uh and really focus on the winter like what's the strategy there because there's a lot like i, I want to keep in mind there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurs that tune into the show and i think uh you know picking your brain of someone who's successful doing it uh is, is very useful so please uh enlighten us on that topic for sure so there, there is that
0: catch 22 there that like We could increase ad spend over the winter, but we might not see the results because our homeowners looking for a new backyard or a new pool in the middle of January, not necessarily. Um, So we do play with how much goes into the social media throughout the year, but we try and stay present all year round. In fact, we do stay present. It is an age-old industry, right? So having that impact on social media and really being able to connect with homeowners, definitely sets us aside from some of those older
2: businesses in the industry and gives us a little bit of an edge there. So in terms of fruitfulness from those initiatives, like I guess it's not overly costly to to post on social media. Do you guys do that in-house or do you hire someone externally to help you with with that? No, we do it all in-house and we could hire someone externally, but what happens is there becomes
0: a disconnect between our design team, our sales team and the client. What we're trying to do is when we're posting on social media, We're really trying to showcase what we can do and get the right message to the homeowners. And we want to really connect with them and show them how we can turn their backyard into what they want. And with an agency or some third party in between, that can sort of
1: distort the reality, in our opinion. And Andrew, uh, when we booked you, I didn't know you were in your mid twenties, which is really cool. And we'll we'll start there. I didn't realize we we're talking to a really young entrepreneur, Gen Z. Um, what do you think about all these stories in the news? We we mentioned a couple uh, earlier in the in the show, but uh, you know, Gen Zs do this, Gen Zs don't do that. You're obviously someone who's into working and uh, rolling up your sleeves and getting things done. Um, what do you make of the the stereotypes about your generation in media? Yeah, Dan, the, the generation definitely gets a bad rap uh,
0: in the media, uh, and I don't. I'm not going to say I completely disagree with it. I do think that a lot of people have taken a step back and are a little bit less willing to get their roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty, like you said. But anyone who's in the entrepreneurial space, I don't think
2: is. It's just a different set of people, and the ones who want it will go out there and do what they have to do. And Andrew, did you know, like at a young, like at what point did you know that this was the route that you wanted to take? Did you know that it was going to unravel this way? Did you have any sort of idea, or you were taking a leap of faith? It was a bit of both. Ever since a, a young age, every job I wanted or
0: idea I had kind of revolved around some form of entrepreneurship. When I was about 12 years old, my father actually convinced me to go out and get some local lawn mowing contracts, and I would push the lawnmower down to the neighbor's house. So maybe it was rooted there. But again, every every idea since revolved around some form of entrepreneurship and business.
1: Considering that you you started Powerstone, I guess, doing lawns, I mean, it seems like a pretty direct correlation, right? I mean, that, exactly, that, your, yeah, your parents exactly. encouraged you to get that job younger, as, as mine did. I mean, I was working around 12, 13 as well. Um, take me back there. Like, did you did you know in your teenage years, uh, I, I remember I did, that you, did you know that you were going to be an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, I, I think since the first time, uh, the first landscape contract, I guess I got at 12 years old, mowing my neighbor's lawn um, and getting that first $10 for the first cut, I think that's when it really cemented the, uh, the entrepreneurial
2: path. Long gone are those days for ten dollars. It's like right. <laughs> <laughs> inflation is real, but um, I guess it depends also the size of lawn that you have. Not that mine's uh, that big, but ten dollars I feel is like uh, you know you get maybe a corner cut now. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, and speaking on that, like it's a competitive market. I'm sure you know you, you're aware um, you know of the market landscape and who your competitors and main competitors are. How do you, like knowing that and what the playing field is, how do you find ways to differentiate yourselves? I mean, I guess to start off, we, we definitely welcome
0: the competition and the competition, although it, it does create a competitive market with a more long-term view, we are we do have an eye out for those strategic acquisitions we could make to grow and expand through different territories. But how do we market ourselves uh, amongst the competition is it's really just having like that client first client focused approach. So like these days, everyone's moving so fast that we see a lot. It's Everything has become so transactional. And a lot of companies, and they, they forget that there's a relationship there. So it all comes down to the first time a client reaches out, the initial uh, greeting. We're trying to build a lifelong relationship with anyone that walks through the door, anyone that gives us a call. And I think you could tell right away, and that's helped us a long way, differentiate ourselves from the competition.
1: What are people looking for these days? Uh, what are people asking you for, for their backyard oasis kind of projects? Um, and sort of what are the, the trends that you're, you're seeing this year?
0: Yeah, again, so like I mentioned, like having that made that bigger picture trend earlier, um, most people who call, they're looking for convenience. And I think that's something we're going to see more and more of in today's environment. Everything you have today, like we can get it on demand on our phones. So convenience is huge. And not, there's not so much, everybody has a particular style or a particular like type of home, and they want to match their landscape to complement that. So there's not necessarily one trend that's standing out. There's there's micro trends that we do see, for example, like the installation of in-ground pools, glass fences are huge right now, the larger stones. But the bigger trend that we see is like people just looking for that
2: convenience. And being able to deliver on that has really helped us take it one step further. And what's the story on these, fire? like speaking of trends, fi- like fiberglass pools versus like the traditional vinyl pools? Right. I'm actually glad that you asked that, Euros, because like I
0: mentioned a little bit earlier again, the industry is an old industry. And with so many older faces to the industry, there's been sort of a, a lack of innovation and a lack of companies willing to take a step and move towards a newer product. Fiberglass pools are a great product. Um, and they could also be a horrible product. So there's a huge range of quality there. We started installing fiberglass pools from a manufacturer in, the, in U, based in the US called Latham, um, and this pool is just it's it's a tank. It's it's it has a Kevlar layer. It's four to five times thicker than your average fiberglass pools, and because of that, we can actually guarantee these pools for life. So for life against fading, cracking, popping out of the ground, which are the biggest risks with these kind of
1: pools. I see on your website uh, you guys use a lot of Unistone. What is that, and why do you why do you favor that product?
0: Yeah, Dan, so Unistone complements uh, usually a landscape, whether it's a patio, a driveway, around the pool. We prefer Unistone to other options. For There's tons of flexibility, so color, shapes, uh, textures. They could complement the backyard, complement the house. Uh, one step further is that the reality is we're in Quebec, we're in Montreal, there is a freeze-daw cycle, and there's no way around that. So other products like asphalt and concrete, I mean, we see it all over the streets and all over the sidewalks. They tend to crack and when there is that crack in a backyard or in a front yard you have to patch or redo with unistone you are going to have that higher upfront cost we have the flexibility to repair that without
2: it ever being noticed so talk to us about the importance of like controlling your costs cuz evidently you know if you want to deliver that top quality service like you're mentioning and you want to drive the business forward i guess you still got, you have to be mindful of, of the costs of jobs and and to make sure that you know, you're profitable on, on, on those jobs. So how do you guys manage that? I mean, this this will resonate with any business owner.
0: It all comes down to knowing your numbers. So as long as you have the right data and you're consistently measuring the right data and bringing that in, reviewing it, you'll know your numbers. And if you know your numbers, it's all a question of math from there. I mean, with our business, it is a capital intensive business model that requires a lot of machines, a lot of trucks to keep it going. And to go back to the earlier days, it did take some sacrifices to be able to invest in that machines, like such as the first couple of years, we, we didn't take salaries and that was part of it.
1: I was going to say very, very capital intensive. So you must have had uh, a lot of occasion to save up, I guess, for big purchases, equipment, stuff like that. Exactly. Like, so by not taking salaries in the early days, it gave us that chance to save
0: up and buy one machine at a time, one truck at a time. Bank financing, did that ever come into the picture? Of course, of course. Yeah, we definitely used leverage where we can um but being conscious of it not over leveraging and also not under leveraging because there's just cons to both
2: it's impressive again i think at, at, at your age uh, you know you seem uh, definitely evolved beyond beyond your years so i think that that's great and uh, and nick as well you know i've gotten the the chance to, to meet and speak with nick uh off the air, and I know he's an instrumental part of your your operation. Couldn't do it um, without and it. Yeah, and I know you know you you mentioned it earlier. It's a dynamic um, relationship where you don't have the same strengths, right? So you you know you can focus on some stuff, and he he complements that very very well. And it's nice to see the the growth uh, so quickly. Of course, that comes with challenges, and I think it's important to be mindful of those. And on that note, like I'm wondering, like innovation wise, you know, the machinery, uh, there's some traditional aspects to, to the industry and the business. Like what do you see as like a major disruptor in that industry going forward? Yes. So for us, it's been the ability to take a tech forward approach to an old business.
0: Um, so everything we do is centered around the right technology. So we found the right softwares to implement where we can. And it's taken us like miles ahead, just in operational efficiencies, being able to get that data from the field to the office, uh, clients being able to go through and book their estimates online without having to call. Again, everything is so on demand these days that having that access right away off
1: the website set us miles ahead. I was going to say you have a pretty slick website, obviously very mobile friendly and some content there, a lot of pictures. I would say most people in your business don't even have a functional website. You know, having gone through this, these rounds of renovations and looking at landscapers and all that, um, most people have a lot of work in that in that uh, area and just kind of neglect their website, it seems.
0: I 100% agreed, Dan. And it's, it's really helped us, that tech forward, that social media presence, having a face to the company has really helped set us apart. And every homeowner, I'm sure yourselves included, when HGTV is on, people pay attention. And it's the same thing. When you see something that you could have in your house, it,
2: it's appealing to anybody. How important is that, you know, the customer service you mentioned, you, you don't see, uh, you know, a transaction is just a transaction. You, you see a relationship there and, and repeat business. So uh, that customer service and that repeat business, is that like some sort of, you know, subscription model where there's maintenance involved? Is that what you guys are getting into? So we do have, we are starting actually, like we spoke about this a bit off Bear Euros. Um, well, first of all, I'll start
0: with every customer gives us the privilege to serve them. And that's big for us. So again, it's not just a transaction. They're trusting us with their hard-earned money. And we do try to build that lifelong relationship with them, Aside transaction aside. Um, but yes, retaining those clients, because when we do a full backyard renovation, these clients are not doing them every year, every two years. It's a once-in-a-lifetime project. Yeah, so we do try and retain them by offering... Uh, annual cleans of the Unistone with special chemicals to really get out those stains in the
1: spring, and various subscriptions like that, that once a year, twice a year, etc. Our guest, Andrew Pimentel, is the vice president of Group Powerstone. They make dream backyards, and he's only 25. We'll have his one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs in a few minutes, but let's check in with our BDO specialist, Marc-Antoine Chaput, a senior manager with business services outsourcing at BDO, and he joins us for the first time. Marc-Antoine, welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. Happy to be here. And euros the cloud. So obviously, this is such a, an important tool for accounting these days. We talked to Ernie Furt, old school accountant, a few weeks ago about you know we used to just drop off the envelope with a receipt in it and say have fun. These days, uh, cloud accounting is the way to go. But there's certain things we have to be aware of, and security is, I'm sure, high on high on the list.
2: Absolutely, and uh, you know what? At this day and age, you you really need to consider digitalizing your accounting and financial reporting tools. You got to look at like, are you still using Cold server rooms. What are your store? Where are you storing your data? Like you said, Dan, is it safe? Is, is someone still punching in your your bookkeeping manually every month, or do you have it automated? So I'll let Marc Antoine, you know, demystify that world for us. Um, but there are tools definitely that exist as applications for automation. And if you're not there yet with the foundation, it's very hard to benefit from the powerful uh, AI and automation tools that that exist. So Marc-Antoine, welcome. Can you tell the audience uh, what is cloud accounting and how uh, it can help an entrepreneur and their business?
4: Perfect. So what is cloud accounting? First, uh, cloud accounting, to define it, is the software used to do the bookkeeping. So now the software is on the cloud. So what is cloud? So cloud is the server where it's a, the accounting software is so the comparison between the cloud and an in-house server is that it can be accessed from anywhere anytime it's one source of truth so the benefits for an entrepreneur is that it can be accessed anytime so it, you can have your you can have it on your mobile you can have it on your desktop from anywhere so if you need some information you have it also with the technology now, you can automate a lot and basically uh, have it everywhere.
2: And that real-time data is, I think, huge for, for an entrepreneur to make sound decisions, right? If, uh, if they have to wait two, three months to, to look at where they're at, um, there's evidently going to be some slowdowns and, and a big problem potentially. Uh, can you talk about like the integration process in the cloud environment? So if someone is not there right now, like what should they be considering or doing now in order to take that leap? So we kind of talked about the the old shoebox where everything was in paper. So that's the old
4: way of doing it. Now, if you want to transfer to the cloud, it's basically making the process easier for the entrepreneurs. So what they need to consider is, of course, also security. So I'm not concerned about security in the sense that the suppliers that provide the cloud software has extra layers of securities, which you don't have to manage on your own from the IT side. Now, in terms of data, the integration of the cloud is, it can be integrated with multiple application and technology. So if an entrepreneur wants to give his data live, he can just take a picture, he can make payments in one click and everything is going through the cloud live, which makes it much easier to take a live decision and focus on business analysis and not just the old way of doing it. We often consider bookkeeping as data entry, just plugging in numbers. So now with cloud accounting, I think the goal is to really focus on taking good business decision and taking the time to to spend the time on strategy rather than
2: just data. And there's different options, Marc-Antoine, uh, in terms of softwares that exist to, to get you there as a business. So. Uh, You know, you don't have to go on the first uh, set of uh, options. I mean, I think it's something you should consider with your professional advisor. I'm sure you'd agree with that. What's next for businesses in terms of accounting and technology? Like once they're on the, the cloud, where do you see it going from there?
4: Yes. So I think the future of cloud accounting is being an advisor. So I see accounting kind of on two sides. First, there is a relationship one, and then there is the engineer in the past it was only accounting bookkeeping data entry now being on the platform the future is being able to take good decision to know exactly where the business is and live so that we can use ai we can use all of those technology to build data use the industry reports use kpis so that everything with technology is built at once and you can go again on your phone I'm looking, I have reports. Hey, how is this month's doing? How is my sales doing for those customers, those type of services? So with all of that, I see accounting being not a data entry, really a business advisor tool where they can help make
1: good decision and go from there. These days, uh, Marc-Antoine, in an age of AI, especially, you know, cloud security is is really is really quite scary. What kind of AI tools though are, are being used for good in terms of cloud accounting? What what are you looking at in the future? Yeah, so AI is a a big subject. I think it depends on who
4: we are talking to. Some people will consider ChatGPT as AI. Some people will consider uh, the bot on a a website as AI. So in terms of cloud accounting, what I prefer and what I suggest the most is uh, industry data and reports building. So with AI, just having your data, they can make some analysis for you that are already pre-built. And then you can talk to your specialists and going into more detail with those. But just the fact that this can be accessible on a a basic stage is a great tool for accounting and entrepreneur.
1: So cloud plus AI uh, is really powerful. And even when we started doing the show 15 years ago, Euros that really wasn't the case. Uh, So really interesting innovations happening.
2: Yeah, for sure, Dan. And I think things move fast in that world. So uh, I think it's only gonna move faster going forward.
1: Marc-Antoine Chaput, Senior Manager, Business Services Outsourcing at BDO Canada. Thanks so much, Marc-Antoine. Thank you, guys. And don't forget, you can read more about uh, thought leadership and specialist advice from the BDO team at BDO.ca. And as we come to the end of our show, let's ask our entrepreneur, Andrew Pimentel, Vice President, Group Powerstone, for his one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs. Andrew, what do you think?
0: Yeah, Dan. So if I had to give one piece of advice to anyone starting a business, it really all comes down to doing common things uncommonly well. So I'm a big believer in the 80-20 principle, and 20% of the most fundamental basic tasks, just nailing those 100% right, will get you 80% of the way. And that's been a big, uh, a big part of our success
1: here. I like it. Succinct, simple, straightforward euros, and uh, that 80-20 rule, we've talked about it before.
2: Absolutely. I think you know, being undeniably good, uh, no marketing effort or social media buzzword is going to be a substitute for good, hard, quality work
1: for sure. And also, uh, we talked about the generational aspect, Euros, which is really interesting. And and Andrew certainly uh, should be congratulated for, uh, like I said, rolling up his sleeves from a very young age. As a twelve,
0: Andrew. I think it was. Twelve was the first time I got a contract cutting grass for a neighbor. Yeah, then.
1: Excellent. Well, thanks for stopping by on the show today, and congrats. Thanks, guys. Next week on Inspiring Entrepreneurs by BDO Canada, we speak with Anna Martini, CEO of the iconic clothing brand Psycho Bunny. She'll talk to us about her move from the Montreal Canadiens back to retail where she founded the company, which is Thriving Online. A reminder, you can subscribe to Inspiring Entrepreneurs as a podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite platform. And we'll see you back here next week.
3: Talk.